Stephen Cluxton is on the pitch. He is togged out for Dublin. Are you sure he's not a mascot, Joe? I am 100% sure he's not a mascot. Stephen Cluxton is part of the Dublin panel today. I'm surprised as anyone, Joe. Subscribe to the OTBGAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. The Football Show on Off The Ball with Sky. All the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. This is News Talk. I'm prepared to anything I can well, to play my country again. Do it then. What about your start to the game? I was, it wasn't bad, was it? <laughs> Why should there be an honest answer be a mistake? How can a modern day manager not have a mobile phone? Why should he? Oh. Welcome to Thursday Night's Football Show. Richie McCormick here with you tonight. And we have a busy one on the way for you. Raphael Honigstein is going to join us in a little bit to talk about Bayern Munich and the busy nature of their international break. They had a change of manager, no less. Julian Nagelsmann leaving his position uh, just under a week ago. And he's been replaced in the hot seat at the Allianz Arena by Thomas Tuchel. We'll be talking about the ramifications of that change of manager at Bayern with Rafa very shortly indeed. The second half is under away now at Stamford Bridge in the quarterfinals of the Women's Champions League Chelsea and Lyon remain goalless in their second leg so Emma Hayside still holding a 1-0 first leg lead that goal coming from Juru Reiten in uh, Lyon a couple of weeks ago but it is time to head to the other side of London to talk about Tottenham uh, we might have thought that the departure of Antonio Conte might have brought about a quietening of uh, chatter around about the uh, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium over the past couple of weeks and past couple of days. Not so. Things seem to have ramped up or ramped down, depending on what way you want to look at it, even more since. Delighted to say I'm joined on the line with Tom Olnut of the Times to uh, look at this Spurs situation. Tom, it's been a mad few days, uh, capped off, I guess, by that ban from FIFA on football work for Spurs director of football, Fabio Paratici. Uh, which is extended now from Italy seemingly worldwide, you would have presumed that that would lead to perhaps a resignation, perhaps Tottenham having to come to terms uh, with Paratici about his employment at Spurs. Uh, But according to at least an announcement on their website last night, that's not necessarily the case. It seemed as if in this statement Spurs um, were trying to point out that A, they hadn't gotten any prior notice of this and B, that they were trying to fill a word count because basically for the time being, Paratici remains. Yeah, hi Richie. I mean, essentially, the feeling at Tottenham last night was uh, was confusion, I guess. I mean, I mean, chaos definitely is is a word that that, that sums up the, the 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 feeling there as well. Um, but the strange thing really was that Tottenham were taken by surprise by this. You know, they were obviously caught completely off guard by this announcement, and their initial reaction was very much to kind of feel affronted by that, to feel angry. Um, you know, that they found out the news after reading. After reading it in the media, um, they then couldn't get hold of FIFA. They tried all day to get hold of FIFA to try and explain the the sanction that they'd read in the newspapers. They didn't hear from FIFA until five o'clock in the afternoon. And even then, you know, last night and uh, even today, they've been sort of frantically trying to clarify what this actually means uh, for Paratici's future because their understanding was that Paratici could continue working for Spurs at least until the appeal from the initial ban in Italy uh, is heard, which which we now know it will be on April the 19th. And they are basically asking FIFA, does this extension to the ban, what does that change? Does that does that change the situation at all? And if and if so, how? Um, and as, as far as we're aware, they are still seeking clarification on that fairly important point. And it's like, we can't uh, underscore this enough. It's 
at the worst possible time for Tottenham because you're talking about a guy who obviously is a is a massive uh, in a massively important role within the club, but he's also now tasked or should be tasked with finding the next manager of the club, and we don't know if he's going to be there by the time a new manager is installed, which is just a remarkable position for somebody of his standing to be in. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's sort of hard to underestimate really the the role that he has at Tottenham. I mean, the, the whole point of him coming in a couple of years ago was to sort of ease the the pressure on Daniel Levy, to, to allow Daniel Levy, the chairman, to, I wouldn't say step aside, but to step back at least from from the kind of football operations of the club. You know, and he came in after after working at Juventus for for the you know more than a decade in various senior roles there. He was very highly respected as a, an an executive, um, a slick operator. His scouting ability is very highly rated as well in terms of players, but also managers. And the whole idea was that he would kind of be the 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 face of the football, I guess, at Spurs. Um, and he is very highly highly respected at the club. You know, I, I guess people now are understandably bewildered as to why the club are sticking by Paratici even now and and perhaps they've had two or three opportunities to kind of sack him and move on and I think the answer quite clearly is that they 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 really rate him they they really value his contribution particularly at this time now when you know we're approaching the summer transfer window he would be very much heavily involved in in the planning for that as you say, he is playing a key role um, in identifying the kind of permanent successor to Conte. Daniel Levy will have the final word on that, not surprisingly, because you know Levy knows that Paratici's future was always a little bit uncertain, so it makes sense that Levy would have had the final word. But there's no doubt Paratici was due to be kind of very heavily involved in in kind of drawing up a shortlist, handling negotiations for that. And let's not forget as well the you know the big hanging issue at Spurs remains the the future of Harry Kane you know the the guy who kind of basically is holding the club together at the moment you know his contract expires next year um and the negotiations over that deal were due to be kind of held in the coming weeks you know and they have to try and persuade Kane somehow to extend to extend his contract and Paratici was going to be very heavily involved there as well so you basically have the star player the head coach uh the summer planning for the transfer window all supposedly meant to be kind of handled by by the man now who the club are frantically trying to trying to find out if he's even allowed to if he's even allowed to work for them tomorrow uh, I think what would have caught a lot of people by surprise by the Spurs statement last night as you mentioned there is the element of surprise within it because well I mean we talked about the Paratici situation here on the show going back a couple of months and it seemed like then probably as you mentioned there would have been the opportune moment for Spurs to, to act on this or at least to try and dig a little bit deeper and, and, and maybe have discussions with him and, and make it public that you're going to have discussions uh, with somebody who is and has been charged in Italy with the offences with which he has been charged in, in lockstep with Juventus. And it just seems as if there was an almost an element of sticking your head in the sand and, and, and waiting for this to blow over and go away and just think that, well, how could this possibly affect us? This is over in Italy. This is nothing to do with us. But they, they, they saw this coming from a mile away, surely. Yeah, I think so. And as well... You know, when you look at the other 12 executives in total, a lot of the other ones have already resigned, you know, have already left their posts. It does, I agree with you, it sort of smacks of the idea that this is happening somewhere far away and this this will eventually fizzle away. And, and, you know, we see this a lot in football, you know, that clubs, I think, often almost, they kind of develop this sense that they're a little bit untouchable, you know, when it comes to the the rules and the laws, you know, and when, and when they do get kind of, uh, when they do get hit by any kind of regulations, they sort of believe that they can appeal their way out of it and this kind of thing. And and that is the sort of sense here, I think. Maybe Spurs 
listened too much to Paratici and his lawyers who perhaps assured them that it would all come to nothing in the end, you know, and actually this is a very serious situation. There, there are two or three kind of um, um, things going on in parallel. You know, you've got the, the initial Italian ban, you've now got the FIFA extension. And then, you know, as well, we have a preliminary hearing coming up in May, which was meant to happen this week, but has been postponed. Um, to decide whether criminal, you know, charges might be brought as well. So there are various kind of uh, attacks raining in right now on Paratici and 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 all the others involved in this financial scandal. And as you say, it's it's bizarrely that the Tottenham have have taken this long to react. You know, I mean, okay, you can maybe understand the kind of the practicalities of finding out the announce the announcement through the media yesterday. Perhaps you can understand why they might have find that found that mildly irritating. But the idea that they you know, we're taken by surprise by this, which is something that, you know, we've known about for months and months, um, you know, really suggests that, that the club weren't prepared for this. And and even now, you know, they're scrambling around. They're still scrambling to kind of catch up with the news cycle right now. And and uh, this is all whilst, you know, the team are, you know, preparing for a game this weekend on Monday against Everton and desperately trying to hang on to fourth place. You know, you, you forget that, this is now a very crucial period in the season for Spurs. They have 10 games of the season left. They they are in fourth place. Um, but it feels like somehow they're kind of uh, self-destructing. You know, this feels like a team now who, you know, almost like the season is about to fizzle out. But actually, if you look at the table, they've still got a really important, really important period coming up. That's something we were talking about off air earlier on, actually, is that as, as quote-unquote disastrous as this season has been, like they still have their fate in their own hands and they have you know one of the form strikers in, in the world still playing up top for them and that them qualifying for the Champions League under a caretaker manager now is not beyond the realms of possibility that's like even though in and of itself with like a lot of you know people can make a lot of fourth place being an achievement but for Spurs that would certainly represent an achievement with the turbulence that they've had to endure and go through this season if they were to get forth from here would be something quite remarkable yeah, I mean, it's been a funny season for Spurs in general. I, I really think all the way through, um, you know, the, the 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 feeling and the and the kind of sense and tone of 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 how the fans are feeling has never really matched up with the kind of the league tables and the results. You know, if if you almost if you look looked at it from afar, I think if you were kind of a fan looking at Spurs and thinking, oh, how they're getting on this season, you would think, oh, they're doing pretty well. You know, they they've constantly been in the top four. They've been fourth for a long time. Uh, they reached the Champions League last 16, which, you know, for for Spurs is is probably about par, you know. OK, maybe they might think of themselves as kind of in the top 10 of Europe, so maybe more like the quarterfinals, I don't know. Um, but, you know, it hasn't been a disastrous season in terms of their performance, in terms of results. But the difference has just been, I think, in, in the kind of the in between the lines, you know, the, the way that Conte has been speaking, you know, all season about the, the lack of ambition, the lack of... Uh, the lack of winning mentality at the club, if you like. And then also, obviously, in terms of the actual performances themselves, you know, the fans have grown really tired and weary of the kind of negative tactics, the passive performances they've seen on the pitch. Of course, then you have the uncertainty around what was Conte's future and also Harry Kane's future. There's just this general sense, I think, of drift at Spurs, you know, and it's not just about them finishing fourth and and, and that being enough. It's that thing where, almost a bit like we saw with Arsenal under Arsene Wenger, where... It's the sense they're not going anywhere, that the trajectory is flatlining, you know. I mean, this is no longer a club that 
that you know is delighted to be just qualifying for the Champions League year in year out and whether or not that is the fans you know maybe overestimating where this club can eventually go I don't know that's that's up for debate but ultimately they want to win stuff now they want to be getting to the FA Cup final they want to be doing better in the Champions League they want to be playing better football they look at Arsenal and they look at what's happening under Arteta on a fairly limited budget and they think, well, you know, we had that a few years ago with Pochettino. We had a young and up-and-coming manager. We had a young and up-and-coming team. And what have we done with it? You know, not very much. We've appointed two extremely expensive coaches. And uh, the feeling is that the club isn't really going anywhere. So I guess, yes, fourth would be a would be a fairly good achievement. It would be a fairly decent season. But that's not how it feels, you know. And I think fan satisfaction is 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 all about trajectory isn't it you know ultimately it's all about the sense that your club is still moving forward and i think the overwhelming sense right now at spurs is that the club is not moving forward that it's that it's moving backwards that it's looking for an identity again and it's looking for for a sense of direction um how do they go about recapturing that well, I mean, I think in a way, you know, obviously the 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 next choice of manager is is a is a massive part of that, um, and as a result, you know, the the choice of what we presume will be the next sporting director is also a big part of that. You know, I mean, if if they if they can get in a manager who can bring unity and connection again, then I think that will be a a big start. You know, I think in a way, what Mourinho and and Conte were brought in to do was to kind of was to sort of shortcut the way to winning a trophy. This whole sort of trophyless Tottenham thing has has really sort of seeped into the the fabric at Spurs now, where they basically tried to go for two coaches who could just kind of get them there, get them over that last line. And what they sacrificed, I think, was was the you know the it's the horrible cliche, but the kind of the DNA of the club, you know. And I think what the fans now are really craving is is that connection again, that feeling of unity of of having a manager who wants to be there, you know, of having a uh, a leader who really feels like, um, you know, he's not doing the club a favour again, you know, and whether that's Pochettino, you know, that would obviously be the kind of the, the easy route, the obvious route, but I don't think it has to be Pochettino. You know, I think there are, there are two or three, you know, really good possible candidates for Spurs. And if they get this decision right, then I think, you know, there's no reason why they can quite quickly turn the corner again. Ultimately, this is still a club, you know, I think there has been some slight hyperbole in, in recent days, you know, about where Spurs are. There's still a club who are on track to qualify for the Champions League, got an incredible stadium, uh, brilliant training ground, have one of the best strikers in the world. You know, like there's no reason why with a couple of good appointments they can't start next season in a in a good place again. But um there's no doubt that it's been a it's been a turbulent few weeks and uh they have to stop making poor decisions, they have to start making some good ones. Yeah, I think uh, it, it hasn't been helped by these reports that came from South America that there was this kind of player revolt against Conte. It was led apparently by Richarlison and Christian Romero. Now, Richarlison has since come out and said the journal, uh, the journalist responsible for this awful lie did not even do the least, which you would be uh, talking to my PR or listening to me. He's come out fairly strongly against those comments. But even having that kind of noise around the club and even having that kind of talk of, of player revolts, etc., it, it, it doesn't do... I'd imagine it doesn't do fans uh, heart problems any good. No, I mean I think that's. I mean, in a way, we often see this. Don't we? When managers when managers leave, then we often see um, reports about uh, sort of unrest. What went wrong? You know, what they were doing that everyone hated. The, you know, the the ban on the you know why the ban on the mayonnaise in the canteen was so unpopular. All this kind of thing. Um, there is a slight inevitability, I think, in terms of that sort of news cycle. But equally. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I, I do think that that Conte's methods were growing, you know, increasingly tiresome on for this for the squad. You know, there was a sense that they did want to play more attacking football. You know, they did want to um, have a little bit more freedom in terms of the way they were playing, but also, you know, in terms of their kind of everyday life. You know, Conte was very much someone who who didn't tell anyone what he was doing until the last minute. And, you know, that came right down to sort of, you know, oh, you know, tomorrow you're meant to have a day off. Actually, sorry, we're training, you know, and that used to, for a while, that was fine. You know, that was kind of part of the intensity, the sort of the, the Conte package. But I think once it kind of reached the second year and the results started to maybe, you know, drift a little bit, those kind of things, you know, irritate people. I mean, it was it was incredible that Spurs, for example, weren't even, you know, when, when all the kind of top clubs in England and around Europe were kind of booking in their, uh, you know, swanky um, places to go and stay during the World Cup, you know, in Dubai and around the, around the world, you know, Spurs had to wait right up until the last minute because basically Conte wouldn't make a decision as to what he wants to do. And then about a week before that, they, you know, he kind of said, okay, now actually, uh, you know, we should go and have a nice warm weather training camp somewhere. And, you know, and the, the club basically had to turn around and say, Look, everything's everything's booked up. Everything's too expensive. And uh, now it's not possible. You're going to have to put up with the fact that we have a, you know, a fantastic training ground here and that will have to work out, you know. And that was just, you know, a classic example of kind of Conte. He, he was so, I guess, buried in the kind of the day-to-day detail and the intensity of his of his work and his methods that the kind of, he wasn't so invested, I guess, in the kind of overall planning of of the club, the kind of the wider, the wider, um, the right, the wider working of of how things go. And and I think, you know, that that irritated officials at the club, but it also started to kind of um, it also started to rank a little bit with the players. And there was no doubt that after his rant, you know, against the mentality of of the team after that Southampton game, that that several key players in the dressing room were. I don't know if offended is the right word, but certainly they were miffed by that, you know, and and many of them were were certainly not surprised to see to see him leave um, a few days later. You mentioned candidates, um, like clearly we talk about one of them in a moment, which would be uh, Julian Nagelsmann with Rafa Honigstein. Like, is he one of the the names that are being considered? Is he one of the names that would fit in there? Because there are issues that do come along with him as well, as we've seen with Bayern, whether it's the chopping and changing and starting elevens or the uh, chopping and changing formations and, and kind of acting on a whim almost to an extent the same way Conte did. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Nagelsmann almost is, is a sort of a slightly surprise candidate because I don't think Tottenham were expecting him to be available. Of course, um, yeah. he, they've liked him before. They've tried to get him before. Um, they've been uh, unable to get him before because of because of circumstances. And I think almost it's almost like they kind of feel like circumstances have aligned for them now and that, that this is maybe an opportunity. You know, you get these kind of opportunity signings in the transfer market and this is this is almost one of them in a, in a kind of managerial market. I think they feel that it would almost be remiss not to kind of uh, test the water here and to find out. Now, whether Nagelsmann wants to work for Tottenham in this, you know, and this, this current chaotic Tottenham, uh, whether he wants to kind of go back to work so soon, um, I think remains to be seen. There's also, you know, the case of the of possible other jobs being available in the summer. And what we found is that a lot of the managers who <clears throat> might be on Tottenham's list are all basically sort of indicating that they're not really keen to jump at anything right now. And that was part of the reason why Spurs had to eventually turn to giving the job to to, uh, to, to, to Stellini for the last 10 games, because ultimately the top sort of four or five available candidates right now are thinking, okay, you know, the Tottenham job is, is a decent opportunity. It's an opportunity to work in the Premier League, but come June, 
it's possible that Real Madrid will be available. It's possible that uh, Inter Milan will be available. Juventus, okay, Bayern Munich has come and gone already. You know, it's, it's very possible right now that there are four or five very good jobs coming up in the summer. And I think if, um, you know, any of those kind of positions come up, particularly Real Madrid, who have also, you know, Florentino Perez has, has very much liked Nagelsmann before. He's also very much liked Pochettino, by the way, before. And these are kind of coaches that Spurs may be interested in. But ultimately, if push comes to shove, I think in the summer, you know, these are guys who would who would still choose, um, you know, the Real Madrid, the the, the European champions. So um, are they interested in Nagelsmann? Absolutely. Um you know, but this is a, this is quite a long shortlist right now. I suppose haven't got to the point where they are, you know, identifying one candidate. They are very keen to make sure that what happened last time after Mourinho doesn't happen again. You know, they want that to be a much smoother process this time. Um, and there are some good candidates available. Um, whether they will still be available in June, I think remains to be seen. Is there a, a reticence on their part to to broach the Pochettino subject, particularly on Daniel Levy's behalf? Uh, behalf? behalf perhaps well she is an interesting one I mean, there is definitely a slight nervousness within the club um i think some people are, are very enthusiastic about the idea other people um are less enthusiastic are, are slightly more skeptical um i think there is a there is a realization that that both tottenham as a team and a club and also to be honest pochettino as a manager they are both different beasts to what they were in 2014 when this when this first came together, you know. And um, there were reasons why it went wrong towards towards the end of Pochettino's tenure. And I think that that, that there are some people quite high up the club at Spurs who think that maybe turning back now is not necessarily the best thing for the club. I do wonder if these last few days, you know, and what's happened in the last couple of weeks makes it slightly even more likely that they go to Pochettino because I just think that obviously it's it's a it's an easy win for the for, for Daniel Levy for the board. You know, it's a it's an easy way to kind of get fans back on side, to get unity back at the club, to to immediately have a kind of feel good factor again. Um and ultimately that is kind of what they need. Um but I do think there is some some nervousness from Spurs. And also, you know, to be honest, I think from Pochettino as well. You know, I think both both parties right now are slightly kind of playing cat and mouse. They're both sort of interested, not wanting to offend the other because this is a very sensitive relationship. No one wants to kind of say the wrong thing. Mm. But equally, I think Pochettino is kind of wondering if the Real Madrid job might become available. And Spurs are kind of wondering maybe if they're, they might be better off going for someone else. Um, so I think it, it, I think it's still possible. Um, I do think it's still possible that it happens. Um, but there's a reason why it hasn't happened yet, you know, and, and ultimately Spurs could easily have appointed Pochettino. Pochettino could easily have accepted the 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 offer to go to Spurs, you know, last week. That didn't happen. And I think there is a reason for that. It doesn't mean it won't happen in the summer, but uh, it's not a slam dunker thing, as, I think, as, as some people might, might expect. It's going to be a fascinating uh, story to watch unfold, I think, over the course of the next three months in particular, as we head towards the end of the season, then into, uh, into what will be a pretty crucial summer for Tottenham and I think there's been a few of them probably far too many over the course of the last decade but for now Tom Olin thank you so much for speaking to us this evening Pleasure Thanks Richie Cheers Tom and don't forget the uh, football show and indeed football here in general on Off The Ball is brought to you by Sky all the football you love in one place across Sky Sports BT Sport and Premier Sports there are 21 minutes to play at Stamford Bridge Chelsea nil, Leon nil in the quarterfinals of the Women's Champions League as things stand Chelsea going through and they'll be playing Barcelona in the semi-finals. We're talking Bayern next.
Football on Off the Ball. With Sky. Don't miss Chelsea versus Aston Villa on Saturday Night Football. Live only on Sky Sports. This is News Talk.